0: Welcome to Epiphany Brooklyn's podcast. I am Brandon Watts, lead pastor here at Epiph. Thanks so much for tuning in. Our desire is to join Jesus in his mission to redeem our city. May God bless you as you listen and consider subscribing so that you can tune in each week. Grace and peace. Epiphany Brooklyn, how's it going? Week number three. Are you ready to rumble? Are you tired of me yet? Well, If you are, God bless you. Your pastor will be back soon, but I am pumped. If you're new, my name is Stephen. I'm the senior pastor of Union Church in Maryland, and I get to spend this month with you diving into God's Word, and I'm telling you, I'm honored, I'm excited because what God has in store for this church, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind can conceive, it is going to blow your mind. The doors that God's going to open up, how He's going to use you to transform a city. I got some time to spend with your pastors, Pastor Brandon and Tide. I'm telling you, the hand of God is on their life. They are favored, they're anointed, and your best days are ahead of you. Why don't you jump in that chest? I love my pastor. I'm grateful for my pastor. I'm telling you, as you honor your pastors, you're going to see God do things through their lives that you never thought possible. Amen? Hey, go ahead and grab your Bible. Turn to the book of Joshua, Joshua chapter 3, verse 14. We're in a series called... Crossing Over, Crossing Over, and the whole idea behind this series. I believe prophetically that God has sent me to prepare you for this season. He is getting ready to take you in to hear me. You can ignore me if you want. Just take my word for it. Everything is getting ready to change. You're getting ready to step in to a season where you see God use you in ways that you didn't think possible. You see God open doors that you didn't even know to pray for. God is getting ready to do great things through your life. Here's the problem. I haven't even read the verse yet and I'm preaching. God can open a door for you, but if you're not ready for it, you can actually not maximize all the opportunity that God has for you. And my my prayer over this time that we've been having together is that God is preparing you, that he's getting you on the balls of your feet, that you are ready for all that he has for you. I want to preach a message today called Get Your Feet. Wet. Get your feet wet. In Joshua chapter 3, verse 14, it says this, So it was, when the people set out from their camp to cross over the Jordan with the priests bearing the Ark of the Covenant before the people, and as those who bore the Ark came to the Jordan, and the feet of the priests who bore the Ark dipped in the edge of the water, for the Jordan overflows at its banks during the whole time of harvest, that the waters which came down from upstream stood still, And rose in a heap very far away at Adam, the city that is beside Zaretan. So the waters that went down from the Sea of the Arabah, the Salt Sea, failed and were cut off. And the people crossed over opposite Jericho. Then the priests who bore the Ark of the Covenant stood firm on dry ground in the midst of the Jordan. And all Israel crossed over on dry ground until all the people had crossed completely over the Jordan. Somebody say crossover. And let's pray. Father God, we're grateful. We're thankful, God, for this opportunity that we have to gather together as your people. God, you've brought us together, God, not just to hear your word, God, but to encounter us in a tangible way. This is a moment where heaven is going to invade earth, where miracles are going to break on our lives, where we're going to take one step closer to the plan, the purpose, the destiny, that you have for us. So God, have your way in our hearts. Speak to us, we pray. In the matchless name of Jesus, we pray. Amen and amen and amen. Me and my family uh, recently had an opportunity Uh, to head down to Florida, spend some time at the beach and all that other good stuff. And it was uh, a great experience. It it, it was also uh, entertainment. You know, I heard somebody say, anytime you take your children with you, it's not a vacation. It's just a trip because you are working just as much on that trip as you were if you were at your regular job. And it's just, it's exhausting. We came back from vacation and we needed a vacation from the vacation. But we were there with our five-year-old Zoe and our three-year-old Roman and on the first day, we went to the pool at the hotel, and I mean, they had the time of their life. They have these floaty devices on, and you could not tell them they could not swim. I mean, Roman was like, Daddy, don't touch me. I got this. And he's, he's kicking his feet as hard as he can. He's going absolutely nowhere, but he's having the time of his life. Now, that was the first day. The next day, we decided, hey, we're not going to go to the pool. Let's go down to the beach. So we get outside, and they're all excited. They put their swim trunks on, and they're walking through the pool, and they're just like, oh, let's get in the pool. like, no, we're going to go past the pool through the gate. We're going out to the beach. As soon as we get out to the beach, my son Roman, he looks around, and instantly you could tell he had made a decision. I am not here for this. He wanted no part of it. He's looking at the waves crashing down and all this other good stuff, and he's like, nope, 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 I'm good. He sits down on the towel, and he refuses to get into the water. After a little bit of time, he, he started building a sandcastle. Daddy, I want to build a sandcastle. So we, we have all the buckets and all that, and we're putting sand in it, and we're, we're dumping it all in the sand. And every time we'd put sand in the bucket and then turn it over, all the sand would just fall flat. There would be no shape to it. And I said, Roman, if we're going to build the sandcastle that you want to build, we're going to have to get closer to the water. The only way this sand is actually going to hold its shape is if we get some wet sand. You can't build a great sandcastle with dry sand. Roman, we have to get closer to the water. Roman looked at him and said, Daddy, I want no part of that. I'm not going. He said, I refuse to get close to the water. You know, as I was thinking about this message that we're preaching today, get your feet wet. Here's the thought that crossed my mind. There's nobody on planet Earth that does not want promotion. There's nobody on planet Earth that doesn't want increase. There's nobody on planet Earth that doesn't want the more that God has for them. Every single person is like, man, if God has more for me, I want it. It's not increase or promotion or more that we have an issue with. So often it's change. I I, I want more, but I want everything around me to remain the same as I take hold of the more that God has for me. Yeah, I want promotion on my job. I would love a raise. I would love more finances and an increase in, in responsibility. I just don't want to leave the job that I'm comfortable and familiar with. I, I just don't want to leave the position at my company that I, I've, I've learned and I, I've become my comfort zone. I want more. I just don't want change. Or maybe you're in a position where, where, where your inner circle, the people that you do life with, they, they've somewhat plateaued. You don't have people in your life that are challenging you to love God more, that are challenging you to maximize life. You, you've just found yourself in a circle of complacency. And you're asking God, man, I would love for you to bring new people to my life. I would love relationships that are pushing me forward, that are challenging me. I, I just don't want to let go of the friends that I have. Fine. find for so many of us, we, we want more. We want progress. We just don't want change. And I've discovered this, that I can either have progress or I can have control, but I can't have both. If we're going to step into all that God has for us, if we're going to maximize, if we're going to cross over, we have to be willing to step into a place of unpredictability, We have to be willing to step into a place where we don't have control of everything. We have to be willing to step into a place of vulnerability because I'm telling you, there is no more, there is no increase, there are no promises of God coming to pass that don't come along with taking a step of faith and trusting God in areas of our lives that we cannot control. Here it is, Joshua. He goes to the children of Israel and said, "Hey, it is time. Today is the day. This is the moment we are crossing over." Look at what he said in Joshua chapter three, verse thirteen. He says, "And it shall come to pass as soon as the soles of the feet of the priest who bear the ark of the Lord." The Lord of all the earth shall rest in the waters of the Jordan, that the waters of the Jordan shall be cut off, the waters that come down from upstream, and they shall stand as a heap. So he said, "Hey, we're crossing over. But it's going to be a little bit different than the last time you crossed over." You gotta understand, just 40 years ago, it was the children of Israel that were standing on the edge of the Red Sea. The Egyptian army was chasing them down, and you know the story Moses took his staff, he, he parted the Red Sea by stretching his staff over the water, and the waters parted, and it says they walked across on dry ground. Well, when they got to the Jordan River 40 years ago, they had been hearing stories upon story upon story about how God had parted the Red Sea with the staff. I just bet that when they got to that Jordan, they expected the waters just to part and for them to walk on through. And for some reason, God said, no, 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 we're not gonna do it that way again. This time, the waters won't part until you put your foot in. First of all, there's like 15 different messages uh, in this message. One of them is this, don't tell God how to do his own miracle. For so often, <clears throat> You know how the Bible says that we were made in God's image? I find sometimes we try to make God in our image. We don't just ask God to move supernaturally in our mind. God, I pray that you would heal my loved one. I pray that you'd bring this person to Christ, that you'd open this area up in my business or whatever it may be. We don't really just pray for God to do things. We did not even realize that we do it subconsciously. But in our prayer for God to move, we already have a preconceived notion of how we want him to do it. More importantly, when we want him to, I've discovered, the Bible says, behold, I am doing a new thing. We serve a God that does not repeat miracles. Even if it's the same outcome, the path to it is going to look differently. And this time he said, until you put your foot in the water, the water will not part. I've discovered there's certain breakthrough." There's certain increase. There, there's certain open doors that will not take place until I make a decision to take a step of faith, until I get my feet wet, until I say, God said it, so I'm gonna do it, even before it all makes sense. And if you just sit back and you say, God, until you do it the way that you did it last time, you're gonna find yourself waiting on God once again, when He is waiting on you. I I was just thinking. Why is it that we find ourselves in a position where it's just like, ah, I'm almost like it's, I'm paralyzed, that I know God wants to do great things in my marriage, great things in our church, great things in this or that or whatever, Me, but I'm, I'm kind of waiting on him, and I'm not going to take a step until he does. There, there's three reasons that kind of came to our mind just quickly, and the first one is this, that, that we want God to give us the next 10 steps, we want before anything happens, before I take a step of faith, before I trust God, maybe you've never tithed before. And you know that God's word says to honor him with the first of your increase, the first 10% of the God. And you're like, yeah, that, that, that's cool. That's great or whatever it be. But, but I need to know 10 months from now, am I still going to be okay financially? Is everything going to be taken care of? Maybe God has been weighing on your heart to, to go and to forgive somebody. Or to ask somebody for forgiveness or whatever it may be to begin the process of mending a relationship. And you, you're thinking about it, but you're like, okay, well, what are they gonna do? And then how's it gonna turn out after that? And what's the, we find ourselves in a position where we want the next 10 steps. God, if you will just chart this out for me over the next 10 months, then I'll take the first step. And here's what I discovered God just doesn't work that way. God's not a God that we're gonna be able to control. He's a God that we're going to have to make a decision. I'm going to trust. Second thing is that sometimes we won't move because we want evidence. I need something tangible. I need something real. I need some type of proof that this is going to work out before I take one step. I'm not moving until I see something that lets me know I'm not going to fall flat on my face. And another reason why we kind of find ourselves paralyzed is I need to know how this is going to turn out. I want to know the outcome. God, why are you asking me to leave this job? God, why are you asking me to just walk across the room and speak to that person? or whatever it may be, I need to know how it's going to work out. And here's what I've discovered. If you understand everything that God's doing in your life, if you understand how the next 10 weeks or 10 months are going to work out, if, if you have everything lined up perfectly, you're going to be living a pretty boring life. You're not going to be living a life of miracles. You're not going to be living a life that's supernatural. Here's why. Because the Bible says no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind can conceive what God has in store for us. There is no way that you're going to maximize all that God has for you and also to be able to control and predict all that he's doing at the exact same time. Another reason why God wants us in that position is because when he does a miracle based off of the next step, it gives us faith for what he's getting ready to do ahead of us. The Bible says this in Joshua chapter 3 verse 10, and he said to Joshua, by this you shall know that the living God is among you and that he will without fail drive out from before you. In other words, what, what, what God was saying to Joshua is, hey, I need this miracle of the Red Sea, of the, of the Jordan River parting by you putting your foot in to build your courage for what I have for you on the other side. There's a reason why God doesn't give us the 10 steps and have it all spelt out because he's saying, hey, there's something that I'm trying to teach you in this moment that if you don't learn it through this miracle, you're not going to have the faith that you need to maximize all that I have for you. So what I want to do is I want to give you just three quick thoughts. We have about four hours together today. So I'm going to give you just, <laughs> so like oh my gosh, I'm joking. But I want to give you just three quick thoughts of, hey, how do I prepare myself? Let me just say it this way, to live by faith and not by sight. How do I prepare myself to step and to move when God leads and directs me and not being in a position where I have to control every aspect of my life, where I need the next 10 steps before I take one. If you're taking notes, can you write this down? If you're not taking notes, um, yeah, go ahead and write this down as well. (laughs) The first thought is this, you got to be in a position where you let him order your steps. You got to make a decision that I'm going to let God order my steps. I find so many people are in one of two positions. They're either in the position where God told me step one, he did not tell me step two through 10. So I'm going to wait for the rest. And if that's where you are, hey, he's not giving you step two through 10 until you take step number one. There's other people that you're paralyzed and in indecision because you have five different options and you don't know which one to take. You're like, man, I can take this job. I can take this job. I can be in this city. I can be in that city. And, and I'm kind of paralyzed in indecision because I don't know what I ought to do. Well, hear me. Let God order your steps. In Psalm 37, 23, it says this, a person's steps are made secure by the Lord when they delight in his way. The Living Bible says it this way, the steps of a good man are directed by God. He delights in each step they take. Here's what that says to me. Hey, just take a step. Seek God, honor God, and then take a step. And as you take that step, he is going to lead you. He is going to direct you. He is going to make it clear to you. You may be saying, well, hold on. The Bible says that the priests who were holding the Ark of the Covenant, they stepped into the water first. And when the priest stepped into the water, all the waters parted. And then the rest of Israel came and followed after them. If I had this big old ark that I got to follow around all the days of my life, he 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 guided me into that right job. He guided me into that right relationship. He guided me into the right home to purchase or what. If I had a big old ark to follow, then easy it'd be easy to take a step. I'm following the priest. We forget the fact that we're no longer following the priest as followers of God. We are the priest as followers of God. He said, don't you know that you're a chosen people, a royal priesthood, that God through the blood of Jesus had made us the priest of God. And it says that the priests carried the Ark of the Covenant. They carried the presence of God. You need to understand you as a follower of God, you are carrying the Ark. You're carrying the presence of God. In 1 Corinthians 6, verse 19, it says this, do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God and you are not your own. I'm gonna tie this all up. So you are a priest and the Bible says that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is in you. So just like Israel was following the priest who carried the presence, if we could just learn to follow the presence of God in us, we'd discover that he'd order every single step. Now, this might be a little outlandish, but have you ever uh, eaten some food that kinda just didn't sit right with you? Maybe it was sitting in the fridge for a few too, too many days and you're just one of those people, you don't like to throw anything out and you, oh, it's still good. It's only been here for eight days and you went ahead and ate it and next thing you know, you're kind of feeling something on the inside or, or maybe you went to a right restaurant and it just because wasn't their day, it just didn't sit with you and it kind of just, it was uneasy. It's amazing to me how we're so in touch with our physical body, but yet sometimes we're out of touch with our spiritual bodies. Don't you know that the Holy Spirit sits inside of you? And when you're taking a step that's not the step that God has for you, your spirit feels uneasy. If we can just learn to be aware of the Holy Spirit inside of us, we can learn how, okay, I'm going to take a step and I'm going to check the Spirit. I'm going to take a step and I'm going to check my spirit. I'm going to take a step and I'm going to check my spirit. And next thing you realize that actually God is directing your every single step. How? Break it down. The Bible says, don't be anxious about anything, but in everything, cast your cares upon God. Let him know everything you're concerned about. And his response is that he's going to guard your heart and guard your mind with the peace that surpasses all understanding an inner peace is an indication that the Holy Spirit inside of you is at peace. So when I'm walking according to God's direction for my life, I learn just move until I lose my peace. Like, let's say you have two jobs in front of you. Which, which one is God's will for me? Well, I have a question for you. Which one do you want? Because the Bible says that God is giving you the mind of Christ. Make a decision. Then after you've made a decision, see if you still have your peace. As long as I have my peace, it means that the Holy Spirit is at ease in me. I'm taking the next step. I'm taking the next step. I'm taking the next step. I'm just taking the next step directed by the peace of God in my life. When I was 23 years old, I had uh, been the youth pastor at my dad's church for a number of years, and we had seen an amazing kind of just move of God. We were actually allowed to have Bible studies in three of the public schools in the area. We had hundreds of kids coming out all throughout the week, hearing about Christ, being disciples. It was an amazing kind of just season of ministry in my life. But I remember at the age of 23, I kind of got to the place where for the first time in my life, I had lost vision for what was next. I I knew that God had called me to ministry. I knew that he had called me to that season. And every year, I'm just, I'm I'm aggressive. I'm a visionary. I kind of like, we're going to do this. Then we're going to do that. And for the first time ever, I had come to a place in my life where like, God, I don't have this. I don't know what you have next for me. I don't even know if I'm supposed to still do this. I remember sitting down with a, with, with, with a mentor, and he said, hey, I think God is moving you on to a next season. I think you need to sit down. It was actually my father, who was a senior pastor at the time, said, I think you need to sit down with your father and let him know that God's moving you and that you're going to be leaving and taking this next step. And I'm like, I don't really know what the next step is going to be, but, but let's go for it. And I made up my mind, hey, I'll just go to Bible college. I don't know what to do next. So let me go to Bible college, hang out in ministry school, and, and see what God does. I remember that day when it was to sit down with my dad. I, I was a little petrified. Y'all got to understand, I grew up in the church. I was my dad's worship leader. I'd been there whole life. I, I kind of just had it in my mind that I was never going to leave. And here I am, i taking a step, and I don't even really know where I'm going next. I sit down with my father. and said, hey, dad, I, I've got something to tell you. My dad says, yeah, yeah, I, I'd love to hear about it, but before you do, I have something to tell you. Now, I know we don't know each other really well, but one thing you probably already know about me is I got a big mouth. There's just not a lot of times where you find me speechless or having nothing to say. I think this is probably one of the best decisions I ever made in my life. For the first time in my life, I said, okay, dad, you talk first. So I was sitting there and I was barely listening to him because I just wanted to get off my chest. Dad, I'm leaving. As he was talking. He said, Stephen and spend some time with your mom, spend some time with God. And I feel like it's time for you to step in and to take over this church's senior pastor. How do you feel about becoming the senior pastor of the church that he was pastoring at the time? You know how you're kind of like just not listening and I'll say, say what now? Huh? Long story short, through the next few weeks and months, as we prayed through it and brought it through the trustees of the church and all that, I was installed as a senior pastor of the church at that time. And as I look back on that season, I'm just like, whoa, whoa, whoa. I was a youth pastor. I lost vision. And then I was getting ready to go to a different city. God, what happened? And I realized that the loss of vision was actually the Holy Spirit. It was the loss of peace where God was preparing me. There's a move coming. There's a shift coming, but it's not the move or the shift that I thought it was. He was ordering my every step and it was the discontent that got me in a position where I was willing to listen to what he has. Here's what I'm trying to say. You don't need the next 10 steps. You don't need it all planned out and spelled out and packaged and wrapped with the bow on top. You just need to obey God with the next step, trust his peace, and watch that he will make sure your steps are ordered. The second thought is this, you need to demand the right evidence. So many of us, we're like, God, I'll take that step. I'll do that. But I need something that you show me that proves to me that this is the right way. Hear me. We need to learn how to demand evidence from God, but demand the right evidence. There's so many people when it comes to faith that have a preconceived notion or a misconception about what biblical faith is. Many unbelievers, they think faith is like good hopes. Like, like being optimistic, like, like just, I just, I just, I, I have faith. I just believe things are going to work out. I, I'm just hoping things are going to work. I just know things are going to work. Hear me. Faith is not optimism. Faith is not positivity. Faith is not just seeing the glass half empty. The Bible says that faith is tangible. In Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1, it says this, now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Here's what it tells me, that there's a substance to faith and there's an evidence to faith. In other words, if I'm going to follow God, if I'm going to get my feet wet, if I'm going to take out on step of faith, I need to do it by faith. And faith is not just, hey, I hope it works out. Faith is I have substance and I have evidence. I have proof that God is going to do what he said he's going to do. So let's break it down. What's the substance of faith? God's word. God's word is the substance that we hold on to. What does that mean? Everything that God has promised me, it's backed up in scripture. So if I'm going to say I'm taking a step of faith and I need evidence that God is going to do it, that evidence is coming from God's word. I need to find something in God's word that I can hold on to that's going to tell me God said it. Thus, it must come to pass. I remember one time, it was probably about five or six years ago, our church, Union Church, was in uh, right outside of Baltimore. And, and I was in a position where... I felt like God was calling me to move our church about 25 minutes away. I was wrestling with it, though. I didn't want to move. I felt like we were abandoning the community that we were in. I was like, man, what if it doesn't work out? Do people even move 25 minutes away? Is anybody going to... I was just paralyzed. I remember as I was studying my word and just, God, can you just give me confirmation? I came across uh, Jeremiah 29, and there was a lot that's going on in that passage. You know the verse where I know the plans that I have for you, says the Lord, plans to prosper me, not to harm you, and all that kind of stuff. But here's what really kind of jumped out to me in that passage. God said, go to that land and settle. Pray for the blessings of God on that land. It said, build houses and have children. And then it goes on to say, and I will make you strong. And then one day I will send you back to the city that I've called you to be. And I will rebuild where you have left. And when I tell you, when I read that, faith leaped in my heart. I literally heard the Holy Spirit say, "Yes, move 25 minutes away from Baltimore, plant the church there, move your family there, build it strong because I'm going to send you back to Baltimore from a place of strength." And it was that verse that gave me the faith to take that step. By the way, we did that. We moved 25 minutes away, the church exploded in growth, and then just last year we went back to Baltimore, launched another campus there. Over 800 people showed up the first day of that location, and I'm telling you my faith exploded because he confirmed it in the word years before it ever came to pass in the natural. I've learned that if I'm going to live by faith, I have to demand that I get some substance from God's word to hold on to. Here's why that substance is so important. Because when the reality doesn't line up with the promise that he's given me, I need something to hold on to. Maybe you and your spouse, you're struggling to have children. You've had miscarriage after miscarriage, and you want to hold on to faith that you're going to have children, but but you're lacking some substance to hold on to. Well, here you go. In Exodus chapter 23, verse 26, it says this, no one shall suffer miscarriage or be barren in your land. I will fulfill the number of your days. This is the verse me and my wife prayed over our children throughout the entire pregnancy. We're going to fulfill the numbers of our days. We're making it to 38 weeks, 39 weeks, there won't be miscarriage in our house. Maybe you're believing for a loved one to come to Christ and they're living as ratchet as whatever. You need some substance to hold on to. Joshua 24:15 says this, and if it seems evil to you, to serve the Lord, choose for yourself this dame whom you will serve, whether the gods which your father served that were on the other side of the river, or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you will but dwell. But for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. I'm sorry, I'm getting excited. I've discovered if I can find a promise in God's word, that is all the evidence that I need, that is the substance. That when I'm looking at something and it doesn't look like what God promised me, I can go back and grab my faith, the substance of what he's promised me. That verse, that scripture I have in my heart, God's not a liar. He can't fail. It will come to pass. Well, watch this. It didn't just say that there'd be a substance. It said there'd be a substance and there'd be an evidence. Not only am I going to have God's word, but he's going to give me evidence all around that I'm on the right track and that he is with me. Here's what I've discovered, that God will drop crumbs of miracles all the way along to our destiny where it may not be the supernatural breakthrough that we're believing for. It may not be that door opener, whatever it may be, but it's just crumbs of miracles to remind us that we're on the right track and he's still with us and he's still for us. If you study the Israelites' journey through the wilderness... It took them 40 years before they stepped into the promised land. But the entire journey, there were crumbs of miracles. There was manna from heaven. There was quail every night. There was a cloud of fire by night and a pillar of cloud by day. There was hail that vanquished their enemies. The Bible says their shoes never had holes in it and their clothes never wore out. I wish we can go back to those days because my wife wouldn't have to buy any more clothes. Your clothes don't have holes in it, babe. God has sustained you. That's going to get me in trouble. I actually shop more than she does. But here's what I've discovered, that I will see little signs of God's favor and miracles. Oh, ah, I'm going to get in trouble, but that's okay. You ever been in a position where God gave you the exact miracle you did not pray for? Like you're praying for your loved one to be healed and you get a raise at your job. And you're like, God, I'm grateful for the raise, but uh, what about that healing? or you're praying for a relationship to be mended and then this situation works out and you can't be mad at God because it's a miracle. It's just not the miracle you prayed for. I've discovered that God will kind of drop crumbs of miracles around us just to let us know you are on the right track. You have substance and you have evidence. Keep going. I've actually discovered, and you're going to say I'm weird, but I've just been walking with God too long, that spiritual warfare for me is evidence that I'm on the right track. When I was immature in my faith, every time things would go wrong in my life, every time the enemy would attack, I would man, is there sin in my life? What have I done wrong? But as I've matured, I've realized that the enemy only attacks what he's afraid of. If spiritual warfare is ratcheting up in my life, it must be I'm on the right track and I'm walking into all that God has for me. You have to learn to recognize that God gives you evidence all around you. That you may not have stepped into the breakthrough that he has for you yet, but you are on the right track. We have to learn to demand the right evidence. Then the last thing is this, Pastor, how do I take that step of faith when it's not all planned out? How do I trust God with what I don't know to be certain? How do I not wait for everything to work out before I take the first step? The last thing is this, understand that the outcome is always I win. It doesn't matter what's going on. The outcome is always I win. I'm, I'm just one of those people that I like to take risk. I'm spiritual, so I call it faith. Uh, but if I wasn't a Christian, I'd still be the guy who's jumping out of airplane, who's just trying things. Uh, I'm just a risk taker. And I actually have kind of an intellectual approach to risk. Whenever I put myself in a position where I'm taking a step of faith, where I'm taking a risk, where I'm trying something new, I always work this scenario out to the worst case scenario. If this doesn't work out, how bad is it going to be? Like if I fall flat on my face, how bad is it going to hurt? And here's how I make decisions. If I look at the worst case scenario and it doesn't hurt that bad, I'm like, hey, let's go for it. What do I have to lose? I find so many people, they don't expect anything great from God because they don't think they can handle the disappointment of if he doesn't do it. I'm not believing God for that healing. I'm not believing God for a child. I'm not believing God for an increase in my business. I dare not increase my faith or expect anything of God because I don't know what to do if it doesn't work out. Well, just kind of follow my pattern with me. Think through the worst case scenario and ask yourself, can you deal with that? Well, here's what Paul said the worst case scenario is in Romans eight twenty eight, And he said, the worst that'll ever be is that we know that all things will work for good. For those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. Here's what I know. That it doesn't matter the situation, the circumstance, it doesn't matter the mistakes or the path. That as long as I love God and I pursue him, every single thing in my life is going to work out for my good. I may not know the details of how it's going to work out, but I know the outcome of how it's going to work out. And the outcome is only one outcome, and that is that I win. You got to understand who your father is. You got to understand the kingdom that you are a part of. You are in a kingdom of victors. You are not in a kingdom of victims. There is no scenario in which you take a step towards God and it does not work out for your good. One of the things that I love about this passage, about the children of Israel that were crossing over the Jordan, these was the younger generation, those who were 20 years and under, when God said, hey, the older folks, I'm not letting you go through and remember. It wasn't actually their physical age, but it was their their complaining and and their distraction and the different mindsets they had picked up that had kept them from crossing over to the promise. But this generation that was going into the promise, and watch this, they knew nothing about Egypt. They were born in the wilderness. They were born in a season, yes, where they were wandering around and undefined, but they were born in a season where all they knew was the promise that was ahead of them. They had nothing to do with the destruction behind them. They just knew about the promise ahead of them. Ah! Some of us were so in touch with the pain of our past that it's difficult for us to see the promise that God has for us ahead of us. We're so connected to that setback, to that abuse, to that divorce, to that bankruptcy. That it's hard for us to even pick our faith up to the place. To believe that there's anything ahead of us. You got to remember what God's word said. It said, if any man is in Christ, he's a new creation. All those things of the past, God has washed them. He's passed them away. And all things have become new. Hear me, your best days are ahead of you. And there's absolutely no scenario where what is in front of you doesn't work out for you. Can I mess with your head? Y'all know King David, the second king of Israel. The Bible says King David was a man after God's own heart. David, even though he was a lover of God, there was wounds of insecurity and rejection in his heart that he never dealt with, which made him a horrible father and made him a little bit kind of deviant. So if you know the story, he ended up having an affair with a woman named Bathsheba to cover up the affair. He committed murder, killed a husband. Oh, That's That's pretty jacked up where you're having an affair and you commit murder. You would think in your mind, you're done. It's over. So watch this. David repents. He turns back to God. And the child that he had with Bathsheba, Solomon, God used that child to be the next king of Israel. He used that child to build the temple where God's worship was going to be committed. It's the exact same temple that the Bible references that Jesus is going to rebuild when he returns. Watch this. Even in David's sin, even in David's mistake, as soon as he turned his heart back to God, God even made David's mistakes work out for his good. Hear me. The outcome is always one thing as my heart is, turn towards God, it works out for my good. So I don't need 10 steps. I already have a guarantee that God, you're in my future. I haven't gotten there yet, but you're already there. And it's good. And it's perfect. First Corinthians fifteen fifty seven says this, but thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved, be steadfast, and immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Hear me. Stop being paralyzed in uncertainty. Stop being, I'm just not quite sure where to go. No, 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 no. You have victory in everything that you do as you keep your eyes and your heart locked on Jesus. Hey, let me pray for you. Father God, we're grateful. We're thankful for this opportunity. God, I pray in this moment, that you would help us to surrender our need for control. God, that we would trust the fact that everything that you're doing in our lives, it works out for our good. Just where you are with your eyes closed and your head bowed, if you could pray this prayer with me, say, Holy Spirit, what are you saying to me? Just give God a moment to make this time to make this message personal to you. Maybe you're waiting on God and God says, I'm waiting on you to get your feet wet. No, 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 I'm not going to give you the next 10 steps. I'm not going to give you the next 10 months. I'm asking are you, you're going to take the next one step. Or are you going to trust me? Maybe you find yourself, if you were to be honest, you would say, pastor, I found myself just drifting away from God. I'm not where I used to be. Or maybe if you're really to be honest, you would say, I grew up in church. Or this is my first time in church, but I don't have a personal relationship with God. Maybe you haven't taken that step because you're wondering, what's three months from now going to look like? What's three years? Maybe you've said, hey, I don't want to make that step because I don't know if I can sustain it. Here's what the Bible says. It says, the God who calls you, he will help you stand. Don't worry about the next 10 steps. What I'm asking is, will you take one step towards Jesus? If that's you, you say, Pastor, I'm ready for Christ to be the center of my life. I don't know what the future looks like, but I know I don't want to go into it without him. If that's you, can you pray this prayer with me? Say, Father God, thank you. Thank you for loving me. Thank you for seeing me. Thank you for sending your son Jesus to die on the cross so that all my sin, all my mistakes can be erased. Today, I surrender. I give you all of me. Be my Lord, be my Savior, and use me for your glory. In Jesus' name. Amen and amen and amen. I love you. Hey, let's worship.